the bullies. Laugh in the face of danger. Fight for truth. Going where no conservative has gone before. It's time for the Kelly Truth Squad with William J. Kelly. The Truth Squad's Week in Review begins right now. Welcome back to the Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly. And, oh my gosh, we are reunited with uh, the legendary Brian McCarthy, uh, the obviously the producer of the Kelly Truth Squad. Brian, thank you for being here, brother. Oh, I wouldn't be anywhere else. And, of course, Warner Todd Houston, PubliusForum.com, social media guru. And um, we are looking forward to seeing him on Kelly Truth Squad TV, KTS TV. Um, that announcement is going to be made uh, via Facebook uh, very, very soon. Uh, I We have a date in May uh, for the launch of KTS TV. TV, go to kellytruthsquad.com, follow us on Facebook, and you'll be one of the first to know where and when you can see K, uh, Kelly Truth Squad TV. And of course, the legendary Maureen O'Looney, um, right here in the studio with us. How are you doing, Maureen? Oh, excellent. Now, you were just on the phone with the network, I take it. I was indeed. And uh, so, the, so don't say another word. Just in a word. And um, now, we have a lot to talk about. We've got a lot of people calling in. We're going to have P.J. O'Rourke, Steve Dahl, uh, the, uh, one of the uh, childhood hero of mine growing up, Steve Dahl, Evil Knievel. And um, I guess uh, <laughs> I had a lot of childhood heroes growing up. Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, but Steve Dahl is going to be joining us and the new editor of Breitbart.com, Stephen Bannon. He's the executive chairman. He's the executive chairman. We had Stephen Bannon in town for the, we did the Chicago premiere of his film, The Undefeated, about uh, Sarah, um, <clears throat> Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. So, uh, so, so uh, we're very, very happy for Stephen Bannon. And um, I'm not going to take all the credit for his success, but, um, but I know that he obviously is... Uh, He's deeply indebted to us. Let me just let, let me leave it at that. Okay, now, um, and we we uh, we are contributors to all that Breitbart stuff. The the big government, the big journalism, the big Hollywood. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. And so we we like to do a lot of that stuff. And if you go to KellyTruthSquad.com, you can just click on the big journalism icon. Absolutely. Uh, so at any rate, uh, we have someone on the line who um, is uh, you know I'm Catholic. I don't think that's a secret. I think people know that. I studied in the seminary. I uh, traveled to Rome, met with uh, Pope John Paul II on a couple of occasions. And um, so that uh, so that obviously influences my beliefs and my, <laughs> you know, my, my politics and my life. Um, I know some people should say that it shouldn't, that there should be a strict separation between church and state. And that for William J. Kelly to be Catholic, to have Catholic faith and beliefs and to be involved in, you know, politics, uh, is a threat to the church and the state that it could possibly destroy the church and the state. I, I would imagine some people might feel that way, but, um, but obviously I don't feel that way at all. I think that it's, you know, I think that what is the church or the state if you don't express your, your opinions and your beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so we've got somebody on the line who hopefully is going to clarify this whole thing. Okay, because a lot of people, Catholics, I think in particular, have been have been brainwashed, have been have bought into this whole idea that they have got to stay out of politics. Otherwise, the church and the state will be destroyed. You know, um, hey, Josh, are you there? Josh. 
<laughs> and go bye-bye. <laughs> Josh, unfortunately. Hey, Josh, are you there? Yes. Oh my God! I was afraid that maybe I was afraid that maybe uh, you uh, you didn't want to mix church and, and radio. Nah, no, I was here the whole time. I was listening to you the whole time. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. So, uh, hey, Josh. Now you are with uh, an organization called Catholic Vote. That's right, and we get involved in politics, and uh, every day we get emails or Facebook comments. People say they they they're really happy to quote with uh, quote me on this. Say. No, we don't believe in separation of church and state. Don't you know about that? Don't you read the Constitution? All that kind of stuff. Okay. Kind of humorous. Uh, I have read the First Amendment of the Constitution, uh, and it does refer to Establishment Clause, and it says quite clearly that the United States federal government cannot have a national church, but I have no idea why that means that I, as a Catholic, can't be involved in politics, why I can't donate right. to candidates running for office, why I can't call my congressman and tell him not to vote for a, a stupid bill. Right. Not to mention the fact that uh, people from other uh, people who believe, you know, things that are opposite of your beliefs and your faith, they seem to have all the, uh, the, all, all the rights in the world to go out and push their agendas. So it seems a little, yeah, it seems strange Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. I mean, I'm not trying to convince people of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince the United States Senate to say that the Eucharist is the Lord, even though I know that's true. I don't need the United States Senate to say that, although it happens to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that as a Catholic. Sure. So what what's going on with the with the the notion of the church and its autonomy and its freedom in this country and the government and the sphere of power that it involves with that balance has been uh, ruptured in uh, you know that we've we have this balance for 200 years who's ruptured it? It's actually President Obama. What's funny is polling is starting to actually suggest that Americans are upset not with. Christians or Catholics or whatever in this whole mandate business, and we're talking about the, the mandate, uh, sterilization sure. mandate, contraception mandate, they're upset actually at President Obama because they're saying, wait a minute now, I'm, you know, a lot of Americans might say, I got no problem with contraception, but I'll be darned if I'll force Catholic hospitals or Catholic schools or any kind of religious school or hospital that they have to provide sterilizations or contraception or abortion drugs. So right. it's funny, this whole separation of church and state. What that really means is the government shouldn't try to control the church, the church shouldn't try to control the government, but people, we as free people, have every right to be involved in politics. Right. Well, and isn't that exactly the point here, though? Uh, You know, a lot of people on the left are running around saying that, oh, the the church should stay out of politics, but uh, politics isn't staying out of the church. Uh, The the federal government under President Obama is increasingly involving itself in church business. So why shouldn't the church have something to say about that or religious people involve themselves in, in trying to stop that kind of incursion? Yeah, get get your government out of my church. Right, I know that's very true. I mean, like Archbishop Carlson said it really well at uh, at, a, at a rally. He said he's the Archbishop of St. Louis. He said, "Yes, we." I'm, I'm paraphrasing him. He said, "Yes, we as Christians have to pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but we're not going to give to Caesar what belongs to God." And that's what he's saying with regards to our schools and our hospitals. And here's the funny thing about this: the Obama administration has tried to argue, "Oh, well, you know, St. Mary's Catholic." Uh, school down the street or Sacred Heart Hospital, whatever, those aren't really Catholic or Christian in any sense of the way. Because you're a hospital and you have non-Catholic patients, or you're a school and you have non-Catholic students, then you're just a school like any other school. And it's such nonsense. It's a total reinterpretation of what the First Amendment is, 
total reinterpretation of the religious liberty. And Americans aren't buying it. They don't like it. They're rejecting it. And it's backfiring on the Obama administration. And you know what's funny? Even he himself is a total hypocrite on this, because he was at church over Easter, and he was talking about this church, and he said, hey, you know, you guys are doing great work, and he commented about what the church does, the church he was visiting. And he mentioned the, the charity that the church was doing, and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute now. Isn't that just any old charity? It's not a part of the church's mission, right? That's what we've been saying the whole time. Right. So even the president himself is full hypocrite. And, and, and wouldn't it wouldn't it be amusing if if you were to try to make your hospital Catholics only? You know, uh, oh, the, the, Obama the would be the first person to say you can't discriminate like that. <laughs> I just imagine it. We 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 tell every Lutheran student to leave Catholic schools. We tell our Jewish janitors they can't work at our hospitals. I mean, it would the outcry, and it would be unbelievable. If it's not what we as Christians would ever think of doing. Right. Yes, indeed. You know, and that's the point that, you know, Jesus himself wouldn't qualify for this HHS mandate. It's so ridiculous. Well, but that's the thing, Josh, is that it is ridiculous, and it's ridiculous by design, so that um, so that it, we as Catholics are endlessly tied up in knots trying to somehow convince people that it's okay for us to, you know, be involved in politics, and and while all the while. You've got people who hate our church and hate our values, um, you know, just running, you know, government, the media, the entertainment industry, the universities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and you know, it must gotta, be a, it must be a big joke to them. You know, I got to tell you, it, uh, Vice President Biden, for as much of a doofus as he is, right? He's more politically astute than Barack Obama is. He really, he said to Obama, "You really, you, you don't want to do this." And, and the reason why Biden said that is he's someone who went to Catholic schools. You know, when he grew up in, uh, you know, in uh, in Pennsylvania, and then he moved to Delaware, he's someone who went to Catholic schools. He goes, "You're gonna," I mean, he basically was telling him, "You're, you're gonna wake up a sleeping giant here." Right. And the old chief of staff, Daly, said the same thing to Obama: "You don't want to do this." And they're like, "No, go for it. We'll try to win young, independent voters and women and all this other stuff, and it'll be fine. It'll be fine." And he has woken up a sleeping giant. He doesn't realize there are a lot of Catholics out there who've told us. Just, and even just today on our Facebook wall, someone was like, you know what? I, I think contraception is fine, but I'm with you on this issue, this religious liberty issue. This is not okay for our federal government to try to tell the Catholic Church what it can do with its schools and what it can do with its hospitals and charities. Because what's next? If the government gives itself that power to redefine what a church is, what power, what power does it not have then? Right. And, um, you know, yeah, that, it's, it's really amazing. No. To, to I, I, see wanna it, wake, Josh. I wanna wake up people about this Please. issue though, because a lot of people are saying, Well, we're just gonna hold you know, it looks like the Supreme Court might overturn Obamacare. You know, I don't know. That, that would be a great that would be a great Christmas gift in June if that happens, okay? But it, who knows? They might they might double down, they might support it. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna count on the Supreme Court alone to defend my liberties. There's right. one president right here who who gave us this uh, this rule. I mean Secretary Sebelius she went right to the top and said, Obama, do we want to do this? And he said, yes. He signed off on it. And then that's a guy I do not want reelected. If he believes in that assault on religious liberty, he needs to go. We need a new president that will respect the religious liberty. And we need a new Senate. And I'm telling people, you got you got to get these guys sure. out. Now, Josh, you know, I, I think that that is the difference, though, between an, a Biden or a Daley and an Obama. Obama's a revolutionary. He's committed to the destruction of what he perceives to be the, you know, the bulwark against 
uh, his values, which is well, you there's, know obviously there's a lot of secularists over the over, over the decades, uh, radical secularists who really truly believe that the Catholic imprint on healthcare and in, in the education is a threat uh, to their w- way of life, their ability, their their ability to to right. rechange, as you were saying, with the media and the elites and all that other mm-hmm. kind of stuff in the universities, to, to, to alter American society to be like you know a society that's completely forgotten about God. And Catholics, we're kind of in the way. You know, we're we're still running right. these colleges and these hospitals and these schools. It's like, gosh, for the secularists, gotta get them out of there. Well, and in we, a lot of ways, Josh, the Catholic Church or the Catholic people um, see are, are really the one obstacle in the path of uh, of these you know moral relativists. I guess that's what we used to call them back in the eighties when right. we were having the, this exact same conversation on the radio. I'd go on the radio and I'd say you know, that, you know, talk about what I believed was right. And then immediately the person that I was debating would say, but those are your values. You have yeah. no right to tell me your values. And, and then I, and as a, as a young Catholic at the time, I, it, it occurred, it, it struck me as odd because I thought, well, wait a second, there, there's only one right and wrong. It's not like, you know, there are my values and then there are your values and then they're both like equally, uh, you know, right. You know, obviously. So, uh, so that 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 I have to be honest with you. You know, I don't know how well, old you are, Josh, but but you know, back when we were having this debate, this exact same <laughs> you know debate back in you know the eighties and then the nineties and then you know, uh, you know, every uh, election cycle since then, um, it just uh, it always struck me as odd that you would right. always have the the moderator of the debate or you know the host of the show basically telling me that my values, you know, that I had to just somehow keep my values to myself, and yet. You know, they were somehow had this license to 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 promote their values uh, in the entertainment industry, the the media, the you know the universities, etc. Um, right. How do you how, yeah. at us? It's amazing. Right. You know? We also need to point out that uh, one of the prime values that is supposed to override all this is the value of democracy, yeah. and that is a value that Obama is completely violating because he's making all these changes <clears throat> via regulation. Not via the the ballot box and right. not via uh, the the legislative system. He's going around making his little fiat rules, writing right. them into regulation, and just you know, like a potentate, installing them. Right. Well, so, actually, you know, I, I, I'm still old school in this sense. I, I still like to refer to our country as a republic rather than a democracy, because the idea of a republic is you don't just get if the United States Senate decides we don't have religious liberty anymore or something else that's in the that we cherish in the First Amendment, they can just get rid of it. The Constitution says no, and and we can defend our liberties and say no. We can take it to the Supreme Court, or you know, we can take it to the ballot box, or whatever. We can defend our liberties. Uh, but and that's you know, I got I got to tell you that the debate about secularism is is key. And you you talk about when you say values, I don't like you know honestly, I'm with Bill Bennett on this one. I don't like the word values, and the reason why is because look, you know what I value living, you know, in a home that's got, a, let's say, a big fence. That's something I value. That's something I put an importance on. But that's the, the word value tends to, to be a subjective-sounding word. And that's why they can just say, well, that's what you find interesting. I don't like vanilla ice cream. I like strawberry ice cream. And so that's why Bill Bennett says, Let's, the values word isn't working. We really got to focus and say, you know, what are, the, what are the virtues? What are the civic virtues that we want to promote and defend and, and you know, and try to foster in the laws that we you know we get together and we try to determine what are the laws that we're all going to be governed by, and what virtues should we try to uphold or try to defend? I mean, we're not right. going to be able to try to 
make everyone completely, you know, virtuous. We're not going to trans- make everyone a saint by the laws that we pass. But our, the, the, the laws that we pass will, will be reflective of the virtues that we as a society think are worth upholding. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Not to mention and the some fact of those that virtues yeah. are having a general tolerance for different peoples and stuff sure. like that. Yes, but there are also other virtues like making sure we're honest. You know, in our dealings with other people. Right. You know, and we can go down the line. And Not to I, mention, I kind of like it that way better. I, you know what, Josh, I, I really appreciate your. Uh, you know, you doing what you're doing, Catholic Vote. What now? Are you based in Chicago, or do you have offices throughout the country? What? What? Where's your home base? We are based in Chicago. I happen to be in uh, just uh, just about next door there here uh, in Michigan. There, okay. But, um, but we are based in Chicago, and, we, and uh, we're just trying to get people focused on the issues uh, that matter. And, and yes, we really do consider the Catholic laity to be the sleeping giant, and we're hoping Agreed. this mandate that we can really wake up this giant and say, here, we got to start talking about these issues, life and faith and family, religious liberty. What does it mean to be a, a Catholic and a citizen of the United States? And uh, we're not trying to impose our ideas on other people. We're just trying to decide what laws should we have. Well, you know, I um, I recently ran to be chairman of the Chicago Republican Party, and we have uh, we have an organization uh, actually that's a very activist organization called the Chicago Republican Organization. I'd love to have you out to speak uh, to that group uh, maybe next month or something. Well, when are how often are you in Chicago? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, uh, that's a good thinking. I, I'm I could probably make it out. Uh, you know, sometime next month. I mean, I get down okay. there. Uh, about three, four times a year, depending sure. on how things go. So, because one of the things that I've noticed, whether it's you know whether it's Catholics clearly, or even you know the the Republican Party, especially you know in Chicago, or even the Tea Party now, is that people are becoming more and more, um, you know, from what I've seen at least, you know, in Chicagoland, is a lot of people they they want to meet, they want to have. Uh, maybe a speaker uh, reinforce something that they already believe, like Obamacare is bad or something, but they don't really seem to have an action plan. That's what we're hoping to 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 you know to give um, you know in the months and, and years to come with the Chicago Republican organization as an action plan for people to actually get involved in campaigns and to win elections. Now, what is Catholic Vote doing? To you know, to to like you said, wake up this uh, this sleeping giant and and use this uh, Obama um, you know mandate to actually accomplish this. Well, one of the things I've been like last election cycle, one of the things that we try to do is we try to find really good Catholic candidates that were running for office. You know, like uh, Bobby Schilling, yes, know, from the, the from the west side of the wow, way. and then obviously uh, Sean Duffy up there in Wisconsin, sure, uh, Dan Beneshek here up in Michigan where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to find these good Catholics who are running for office who are pro-life, pro-family, and then here's the idea: is we're, I'm, you know, Emily's list got started by finding people who love abortion right. all across the country to donate money to help out someone like Barbara uh, Mikulski, and she got elected to the Senate there in Maryland. Okay. The same idea on our side. Why can't we get all the Catholics in the country? If you live in Chicago, and you know, I, uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. is your congressman. And you got no chance of getting right. rid of him. I'm not saying that's true or not. Maybe there is, but you get kind of frustrated. It's like, well, you know what? Why don't you come help Catholic vote, and we can help Bobby Schilling, who's going to have a tough reelection campaign going on, or help you know Sean Duffy up there in Wisconsin, help some of these other candidates get elected. So you still have an opportunity to participate in the political process, even well, if 
Josh, the neighborhood you're in might be a little tougher. Well, Josh, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, please uh, keep, you know, give give us a call and uh, let's schedule you to come out and speak to the Chicago Republican organization next month. Uh, we've got a big boat cruise coming up. Uh, you know, maybe we can uh, get uh, you know some some people from Catholic Vote to come out and join us on that. Oh, that'd be great. And nice talking with you. All right. You got it, brother. And we'll be back with more Kelly Truth Squad after this. Right on, America. More with the Kelly Truth Squad coming your way next. If you need the latest news and opinion, look no further than veteran political blogger Warner Todd Houston. You know him from his work on Red State, Breitbart.com, his local political blogs at Chicago Now and Publius Forum, and as the host of the Kelly True Squad every week. Now Warner Todd Houston has a new political blog you need to know for local political news in Chicago and Illinois at PrairieStateReporter.com. When you need news you can rely on without the dirty political spin, visit PrairieStateReporter.com now. Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly, and uh, it is a pleasure to be here with reunited with the legendary Brian McCarthy. How are you doing, brother? Good for a legend. <laughs> well, you know what? We've got uh, we've got a very big show tonight. We're full of legends, legendary characters, and uh, and we have. Uh, uh, so I, I guarantee you, uh, we're probably going to run a little over, Brian. If you could just notify the affiliates, I know that that usually gets you in a lot of trouble, but but hey. It's you know part of uh, part of the job. We've got another legendary character here, Warner Todd Houston, PubliusForum.com, our social media guru. Warner, thank you for being here. I don't know if I'm a legend, but I'm out <laughs> on a ledge. And uh, in fact, Warner, you're going to see Warner on the uh, the first episode and the second episode and the third episode of the Kelly Truth Squad TV. Finally, finally, we've uh, we've got uh, KTS TV. Uh, coming to a national cable network uh, news channel uh, near you. And uh, keep your eyes on kellytruthsquad.com for all of that information. And I, I want to thank you, Bill, for letting me serve everyone lemonade on the set. <laughs> that was my job. Uh, that's what you'll see me doing. Uh, well, can I take your order, sir? That's, uh, that's, uh, that was my line. No, you did uh, <laughs> You did a great job, as always. And uh, we're very honored and thankful for you to be there. And, um, you know, we've always... We've become known for a couple of things, okay? Obviously, the parody songs, the parody songs that we do on uh, the Kelly Truth Squad, they pay the bills, okay? And uh, But I'm not satisfied with that. That is, uh, you know, it's just, you know, like I said, you know, it's it's something that, that, uh, that we've become known for, but I consider myself to be more of an artist than that. Okay, like Goethe, for example, he wasn't really satisfied with being a writer. He 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 viewed himself as an artist, and um, and sadly, um, you know, the name Goethe has been lost to history uh, because he never really got to fulfill. If his... he'd only had done a rap song, I think maybe he he might he might have more fame. You see, that's Warner exactly right. That is why um, what I'm going to do is. Uh, who, you know, who, I'm going to do this actually in reverse. Whereas in today, today, what you need to do in order to become you know, highly successful and famous is to do a rap song. What I'm going to do is instead of doing a rap song, I'm going to do a um, an opera. 
Oh. I'm yeah. going to do the first tea party opera. Okay? Now that I've said it, obviously all these other uh, composers are going to rush out and try to you know slap together a, a, a tea party opera and have that uh, you know and try to beat me to the punch. But you see, I know how I know how this game is played. So I've already started working on the tea party opera, and um, and I can you know I, I can uh, you know I'll even sing a few bars for you a little later. But uh, but I'm also an organizer. You know that about me. Of course. Um, so uh, so what I've done is I've cultivated a relationship with uh, someone from the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Over a number of years, this has been actually um, an, an agenda of mine. L- little did he know that uh, when I was calling him to, uh, you know, get, uh, you know, to, you know, find out about, you know, the, the new season at the Lyric Opera, what I was really doing was I was laying the groundwork for me to debut my Chicago Tea Party Opera on stage at the Lyric Opera House. You see what well, I'm saying? This sounds like uh, quite a project. <laughs> it's years in the making. That's exactly right. Like most of the things that I do. Uh, so, um, at any rate, uh, what uh, uh, do do we have? Jack Zimmerman with us. Jack, are you there? I, I'm here. I'm waiting. Yeah. Ah, Jack, I, I didn't realize that you were on the line, so I was stalling for time. But, oh, okay. uh, well, I'm here. But uh, Jack, um, I don't know how much of you of that that you heard. I I hope that you didn't. I, I've heard it all. Uh oh. <laughs> now he has heard it all. Folks. <laughs> okay. I've heard it all, and, and, and I just want to say I'm working on a tea party opera. So, yeah. <laughs> you see. See, I know that now everyone's doing it. Now everybody's yeah, doing now everyone's it. Now, see, Here's I... the thing, though. I'm a liberal, so you Uh-oh. know it's going to have a different. A little different. Ah. Take. We'll have competing. Yeah. We'll we'll do ours across the street from his, and they'll be like competing. I see it. You know what? Yeah. I like it. I like it. It's, it's not a good deal when operas compete. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, hey, first of all, Jack, it's wonderful to have you on the show. You are you are a genuine character. I met you a number of years ago, and one of the line one of the things that you said to me has stuck in my mind ever since that that you loved the uh, you fell in love with the opera because uh, when uh, you when you went there as a little boy, it, the opera house struck you as a place where 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 only good things happen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the, the truth is, though, when I came to the Opera House as a little boy, it wasn't to see opera. It was to see a show called Super Circus, ah. which is an old Chicago TV show that used to be broadcast from here. Wow. So I sort of fell in love with... But, you know, I, I started going to the opera and fell in love with the whole thing, you know. Yes, it, indeed. It, it's the best thing we've done. There you, you know, go. When you, look at the, when you look at human history, it's full of wars and just all sorts of awful things. But yes. you, know, you come and sit in the opera house and you think, eh, maybe we're not so bad. Ah. Now, uh, when is, when does the new season of the Lyric Opera open up? Uh, not till October. And, we're uh, off now, which is why I've been sleeping under my desk today. The phone call from your producer woke me up. <laughs> so, this, so there's plenty of time for me to put the finishing touches on the Chicago Tea Party Opera. For the opening you know, season. what I would suggest you do is get an existing opera, like take a Verdi opera Ooh. and just steal the music from it. You know what? You know, That's very music, interesting. Just, you know, we can use the costumes, everything. You know, we'll just sort of rewrite it and accommodate this tea party thing. Well, you know, the costumes are going to fit right in. I don't see I don't see any problem there uh, with that. And um, so maybe take a melody from an existing opera, something that people recognize, like a... Like yeah. a 
like, and then just uh, add some, because you see yeah. the thing about this Chicago Tea Party. I don't know if you're if you're aware of this, but um, but there is actually a very very very, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm not speaking generally about all tea parties, but the Chicago Tea Party is uh, is a very weird mix of heroes. And villains, patriots, and deceivers. There, there's even sacks that there. One of the Tea Party leaders, if I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, was involved in a uh, in a sex scandal. Warner, am I right about that? I don't want to say anything that's not correct. Yeah, he was involved in a scandal of sorts. Right, right. Well, well, what? if you're in politics, aren't you always involved in a scandal? I mean, isn't that part of the turf? <laughs> there you go. For a second there, I thought you were going to say it was a Sox fan. <laughs> but, uh, but now, no, scandalous, but anyway. isn't it? <laughs> hey, you, you watch it, Warner. You're talking to a Southsider, right? You're talking to I, I two Southsiders. South well, I, it's worse. I'm from Cincinnati, so I'm a Red Legs fan. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, but Warner, now who is it? Who is this uh, Tea Party organizer? He was. He used to be in charge of the Chicago Tea Party, and then he got involved in this prostitution scandal. What, what was his name again? Isn't that Steve Stevelick? Steve Stevelick. Well, there was also uh, Mr. Rose too, uh, who's uh, tangentially involved in his little scandals. We so. will work him into this. Uh, we're going to work him into the uh, in, into this opera as well. You see, I'm writing it as we speak. Um, this opera, this opera actually writes itself. Okay, so let me get this straight. Uh, so I'm going to take an uh, an existing tune that people are familiar with, and, and I'm take an existing opera that people are familiar with, and let's just you know like cannibalize it. Okay. Take, you know, we'll take everything from it. Okay, here. I'm, I'm the plot. You write the plot. All right. Well, well no, the, the plot writes itself. I'm not going to take any credit for this, but okay. uh, uh, or the blame. But uh, okay, let me let me try this on you, uh, Jack. You've heard all the great operas, all the great opera singers. Um, let me. I've just jotted this down. Let me just right. let me just try this out on you. You tell me if we can okay. open the uh, the the uh, the new season of the Lyric Opera. Okay. With the um, the Chicago Tea Party Opera, <clears throat> don't cry for me, Stephen Stavlik. You were supposed to be a patriot, not a prostitute. That's all you wanted. You are a phony, Denise Cotoni. What do you say? I, I say we got to go for it. I mean, this is major talent, right? There. I think that this sounds more like an opera based on a Broadway play, based on a commercial, a TV commercial. I think. <laughs> I think we're going all sorts of ways on this. And you know what? In this in this day and age, and you know this as our social media guru, Warren. In this day and age, you want to cover all the bases. True. So you don't want to. Uh, so I, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to get we're going to get everybody involved in in this production. I don't know who we're going to get to play uh, Stephen Stevlick, though. Maybe, you know what we could do? We could get Stephen Stevlick to play Stephen Stevlick if we can find him. If we could track him down, that could be his comeback. That could be a way to somehow reinvent Stephen Stevlick. You know what I mean? Because he needs, I mean, he's looking for work. He's looking for something. That might be the way to do it. Might be it. And Denise Catoni, I mean, how, how could you find somebody to, to play Denise Catoni? You wouldn't be, I mean, central, you wouldn't even be able to cast someone to play Denise Catoni. Yeah, but here's the thing. Can these people sing? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> you know what? We're, we, I will find out. I'm going to go to All the right. next rally, and I'm going to find out. But, uh, but, but now, Jack, you also, in addition to the Lyric Opera House, 
you have your own uh you you have some uh, some side projects and hobbies of your own i know you know obviously my side project my hobby is saving democracy and um and then also you know saving western christian civilization these are two little side well, have projects you, have you done that yet i'm working on it Okay. Okay. You know, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. I, I focus yeah. on it, and then and then I and then I you know start doing radio shows and TV shows, and then I yeah. and then I go back to trying to save democracy again. But I, um, I like the thing about saving Western Christian civilization. Yes. That's, yeah. That's you know I I'm really lazy. Uh, I mean, my entire life, my my dream was to own a house that hit a basement. Ah. You know, that that was it. That's as much as I've dreamt. You know, and I. My midlife crisis car was a Ford Festiva, and I set everything very low in my life. You know. <laughs> you're go. saving Western civilization. I really admire that. Well, you know what? That's uh, and I have to say that that's actually been my goal for quite some time, and and maybe that was the problem was that I started out with that goal. I maybe uh, I should have started out with the goal of having a house with a basement and then see? worked my way up to saving western christian civilization. For you know, if I could if I could start all over, if I could, you know, do it all over again, that yeah. would be the that's what I would change. And that's what yeah. I, when I go out and I speak to various, you know, you know, crowds, groups, organizations, the yeah. um the, you know, the Tea Party, the 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 young um Republicans, the you know the International Academy of Broadcast, Fashion, and Video Games, the various uh, speaking opportunities. What I'm going to tell people from now on, especially the young people, is start out with uh, you know just the basics: a house with a basement. A house or, or, with a basement. That's may, a may, maybe we could maybe we could encourage them to make sure they don't get kicked out of their parents' basement. <laughs> there you go. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, I um, like that. But Jack, now you have uh, you have a performance of your own coming up, if I'm not mistaken, on Monday. Yeah, it's Monday. It's Monday. It's a chemically imbalanced comedy. Tell uh, me on, more. Uh, yeah, I, I do these stories. Uh, they're stories from my life. Okay. And uh, I did I did a collection of stories last year. It was called The Gift, and Garrison mm. Keillor even had me on Prairie Home Companion. Yes, I remember and, hearing about that. That was a very big deal. Yeah, it was a you huge were, deal. Now you yeah. were out at uh, Ravinia, or where? Where yeah, did that go down? Yeah, I did. I did that at Ravinia last summer, last wow. June. Yeah, it was a big deal. And uh, anyway, I've written uh, another six stories, and I have a jazz trio that works with me, and we, uh, you know, tell stories and play jazz, and uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty good time. The stories are uh, they're each about twelve or fifteen minutes long. Then there's some jazz, and then there's another story. I love it. And uh, so we're doing this thing. It's, it's it's practically sold out, but it's uh, coming up Monday night. Yeah, it's at Southport and Irving Park Road. Okay. Uh, but if anybody needs to has any questions about it, can I give my email online? Absolutely. I'm, I'm here. It's uh, J W Zimmerman forty five at gmail dot com. Just email me, and I'll answer your questions. There you go. And uh, yeah. uh, so when are um, so so that's uh, that's coming up. Um, yeah. I got a um, some CDs from you a while back of your short stories, and yeah, uh, and I the, yeah, that's the gift. That's a that's a collection of short stories uh, that that are like the, the same stories I'm telling Monday night. They're you know kind of like that. They're Chicago based. There stories, you go. You know, yeah. That then those are the you know those are the ones that I obviously remembered listening to and and I could connect with them because um, you know they they 
they they really kind of spoke to me and my ancestral chi, yeah. you know, from back. Yeah. Now, um, give us a give us a little idea of uh, of you know maybe one or two of these stories. Well, um, the stories they're as I say they're autobiographical. Sure. Okay? So the I, these the stories that I'm doing Monday night they kind of go backwards through my life. And the first one is called Raging Bull. And it's it's how I started working in the arts and handling patron complaints. There you That's go. That's what I do at Lyric. Like if you call them and say, I have a complaint, they put you through to me. Mm-hmm. And I did that at Ravinia, too. You know. And then uh-huh. the second story is a little earlier. It's called My Life in Jazz. And it's how I totally failed at being a musician, both a jazz musician and a classical musician. But it was my dream to do that, you know, and I yes. I sort of quit when I was 30 years old and had to do other things. And then the third story is called <laughs> Night Watch, and it's about me as a night watchman, uh, a job which I got fired from, which is hard to do. You know, it's hard to screw up a night watchman job, but I managed to do it, you know. Now, now where were you a night watchman, Can I or should I not ask? Yeah, well, I worked for a service. It was one of these suburban patrol services. Ah. We watched various warehouses, and I was always... You know, it's so boring. You know, you sit in a warehouse alone and you sort of walk around. And so I was always reading great literature. I was always taking, you know, and I was reading Moby Dick. And I he had to wear a gun for this thing, you know, a police revolver. Are you kidding and, me? Uh, I was reading Moby Dick and I sort of got lost in the narrative there. And I let my hand trail down to my side and I cocked the gun. You know, no and way. Of course, how do you get a gun uncocked without shooting it? So. Anyway. You can't be serious. So, yeah, so I you, did. I, I did, and it was, uh, you know, and, and eventually I got fired for that. So, you know. <laughs> and, and, no, no, but Jack, went, wait a second. You had an opportunity not instead of being fired. I, I'm going to tell you right now how you could have gone from not being fired to being promoted. What you had to do when you fired that that uh, that revolver was claim that you had that you had scared off. Yeah. Um, uh, some intruder. And yeah, well, see, here, here, here's the thing, though. Uh, I know a little bit about guns because I grew up in a house with guns. Okay. And this gun they gave me was really old, and it, it didn't look like it was ever cleaned. And I was afraid <laughs> if I pulled the trigger, it would explode. You know how guns oh. kill people sometimes? Of course. So, yeah, so I called the guy who was the <laughs> night watchman, the, the cop wannabe who ran this thing. He told me to go outside and hold a gun over my head and hold a hammer uh, between my two fingers and then squeeze the trigger gently and ease the hammer back, you know, on the run. And I did it. I, I got the thing to uncock without shooting it. But when I did it, I walked out of the warehouse and left my keys inside. So I was locked out of the building. I was guarded. <laughs> Which is, you know, if you're a watchman, what else have you got to do? You know, just watch the building. So I had to call the guy again. He had to come over and open the warehouse, and he fired me. And that was it. It was while I was reading Moby Dick, of all things, you know. Oh, man. Okay. So so this would be an example of a story that you will you will be yeah. telling. Yeah. I have a feeling that you have a lot of these stories, Jack. I do. I have a, For some reason, well, my mother was Irish, you know, and you get okay. together with Irish people and they all, uh, they all tell stories. My, my mother's family all had stories. They were all storytellers and they just sort of sit in a big circle and they would tell stories. 
I have a feeling that you have a disproportionately large number of these stories. Am I am I right, Jack? Yeah, I, I think I do. I mean, I guess I do. I, <laughs> I never knew I was good at this until I went in the Navy. You know, I thought everybody told stories, but that's not the case. <laughs> I've solved that problem by having no long-term memory, so... Oh, <laughs> I can remember That's the only what memory I have. <laughs> there you go. Um, the story that I remember from the CD that you sent me was the story of how your mom and dad would go to wakes as uh, oh, yeah. as part of their uh, social yeah. their their social life yeah, was to it. go yeah, to they, a wake. They, they didn't go to they didn't even go to movies. They went to wakes. They were Southsiders. That's all they did. You know? and, and the 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 one in particular was how they went to the the wake on the north side. Which yeah, totally I totally screwed everything up, you know. I would yeah. imagine that, you know, being from the South Side myself, um, I would imagine that the idea of going to, you know, going to, you know, north of Foster Avenue uh, would have been, you know, probably considered the other side of the the other side of well, the world. Well, my mother only went north of Madison Street twice. Wow. You know, I mean, she she was a real South Sider. You know, I mean, she never went. It was just a unchartered territory. Sure. And we just thought horrible things would happen to you if you went north of Madison. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, you know, growing up uh, in the 19th Ward, I, and I don't know, I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not saying that this is the, uh, that, you know, that this is representative of anybody else growing up on in the 19th Ward. But I literally didn't believe that it was possible for me to really go downtown, you know, except for under very extreme, you know, circumstances, uh, you know, to be able to come downtown and you know, or 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 to live downtown, you know, if you'd have told yeah. me when I was 16 years old uh, or even 18 years old that I would one day be living in downtown yeah. Chicago, I would I would have no idea of how that would even be possible. Yeah. Yeah, but when you were 18 years old, probably very few people lived downtown. Right. It's kind of a recent development. That, you know, that, you know, that, and I lived, I lived downtown, too. Uh, I mean, I love right. it. Well, this all but, this all comports pretty pretty closely with my experience from coming up here from Cincinnati in the 70s. I, I met people. Uh, I moved to Alsip, Illinois, on the south side, the far south side. And uh, I met people there that never had left Alsip and never been downtown. And, and, you know, here I was 16 and been downtown already many times and all over the Chicagoland area. And I met a lot of people that never left yeah. their home area, which shocked me as somebody coming from, you know, far outside from Cincinnati and coming here to this great city and seeing all these wonderful things that you can do here and meeting people that never, never, you know, never went, uh, sure. never went downtown. It just seemed uh, odd to me. Yeah, I you know I used to be a piano tuner and I used to tune in the suburbs in the city and I often I, I would meet suburban people who'd never been to Chicago. So Jack, I'm starting to put together put the pieces together here. In order to come up with enough stories, you you literally have to go through I don't know what a dozen jobs a year. Is that is that basically is that yeah, is that I, what is that what I'm getting? You know, now? If, here's the thing: if I was successful at any of them. <laughs> You know, I'd be doing that. But I was never successful, so I'd always get to, you know, start another career. Well, you see, you're uh, you're just like Goethe. You are you're you are a modern yeah. day Goethe. You you are a frustrated uh, night watchman, uh, piano tuner. Um, yeah. You know, jazz. I taught college. I, I did a lot of things. You know, I was in the navy. I, yeah, I did a lot of things. Worked in newspapers. Yeah. And all the while collecting material. 
For, I, I guess I was. I, I, I think, though, the, the, the most material you could get was being a piano tuner. Because when you go to somebody's house, oh they'll boy. talk to you. Because they, they know you're there like once a year or so, and you work alone, and they just confide everything to you. Wow. And it was amazing, the stories people would tell me about their lives and their, their marriages and their financial situations. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was, they just poured their hearts out, you know. Really? So do you have a chapter in the book now uh, of, of specific encounters that you had as a piano tuner? No, but, so I, you know, I'm going to retire someday and I'll get to that. Okay. Now, how yeah. did the piano tuner uh, job, now, how did that end? I, I'm just curious. Oh, on a yeah. sour note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I went to school Sorry, I couldn't to tune pianos, you know, and I, I, I learned the trade. I was a decent tuner, you know, but I, I just, after a while, I burned out. I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I just, I've been driving around to these suburban places and people are telling me these stories <laughs> on tuning pianos and, you know, and, you know, and they, they'd like, they get out their family album and show you a picture <laughs> of their dog. And, you know, it's wow. just after a film. while, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. So yeah. so how long does it take to tune a piano? Uh, you know, under two hours, hour and a half. So, so literally, you would go to somebody's house to tune the yeah. piano, thinking yeah. that you maybe had two hours uh, yeah. on the clock. And and yeah. how long would it take you to actually get out of that situation? Because oh, I would yeah, imagine you have to concentrate. I've, I, I know. Sometimes it would take like three hours. You know? <laughs> I mean, it was it was just a long time. I remember one day I was I was out in Palatine, and this woman says, well, "Well, could I fix you lunch?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." You know, so I'm sitting there eating lunch alone at this kitchen table, and this guy comes running in through the garage, <laughs> opens the garage door, runs into the kitchen, gets in front of the refrigerator, and just takes food out of the refrigerator and shoves it in his mouth. And he turns around, and he runs back out through the garage, gets in a car, and drives off. And I said to the woman, "Who is that?" She said, well, that's my husband. He's kind of compulsive. What? I thought you were going to say, uh, I thought you were going to say that she said, oh, I thought he was with you. No, no, it was her husband. <laughs> you know, and just seeing this guy eating, shoving food in his mouth. Uh, from the refrigerator. I mean, it was disgusting. I have no, <laughs> you know? no, no, and he and he didn't uh, he didn't have any questions for why you were sitting at the kitchen no, table. No, eating? he didn't say anything. He just he oh, he was on a mission, man. He opened the door <laughs> and just ate and ran. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, well, so this uh, this uh, Monday, right? <clears throat> yeah, this Monday. Yeah, it's at eight o'clock. Uh, just uh, once again, it's JW Zimmerman forty five at gmail dot com. Okay. If you have any questions? And uh, so it's it's the the theater is called the Chemically Imbalanced Theater. Yeah, chemically. Yeah. And uh, where and uh, that's at um, Irving Park in Southport. Yeah. And uh, and my God, so you're going to have Jack Zimmerman. You're going to have uh, some jazz music. I'm I'm sure that they have yeah. uh, a nice yeah, menu there. It's ten bucks to get in, and uh, yeah, there's no food, but I'm uh, giving everybody free booze. That, so, what? You know, yeah. Wait a second. Okay, and yeah, uh, it's like, I mean, it's cheap booze. Okay. It's, it's cheap beer. Even and better. Wine. Even better. So, uh, and are you gonna have some copies of the gift uh, there for sale? Yeah. Well, that's it. You know, I, I've been let down by both socialism and capitalism, so I have to sell 
copies of the gift and I have some books that I wrote and sell those, you know, trying, you trying to retire, you know? Well, I love it, Jack. And, and you're an awesome guy and just an amazing talent. And, uh, I, I really, you know, admire what you do with uh, the Lyric Opera House. I'm hoping to get the Chicago Tea Party Opera ready in time for the new season. Uh, I, I think, I, I don't think, I think we have something scheduled already, but, you know, if we look at this the next one, we'll probably bump it. Now, wait a second. What Now, what do you have, what are you opening the season with? Well, man, I mean, this is this is the season. We're opening with a uh, opera by Richard Strauss called Electra. Hmm. Whoa, and it's a knock your socks off opera. Okay. Oh, it's a it's a killer opera. That's based oh, on the comic book, right? Uh, yeah, it's just just like the comic book. Yeah, <clears throat> I knew it. Yeah, I knew yeah. it. Everybody buy tickets and have that expectation. Well, <laughs> yeah. well there you go. Jack Zimmerman, um, a true Renaissance man, a modern-day Goethe. Um, we're going to do Hansel and Goethe, right? There you go. And, you know, we're um, actually doing Hansel and Gretel here oh, this year, Gretel. which is really? a great opera. It's a great little opera. I love it. You know, so. Well, I'm anyway. a, I'm absolutely looking forward to uh, I'm a, absolutely looking forward to to. Um, Getting my season uh, subscription to the Lyric Opera House, and um, give uh, give us your uh, email address one more time for anyone who would like to get a uh, uh, some yeah. information about Monday's uh, uh, okay. event. It's J W Zimmerman forty five at gmail dot com. And uh, my apologies to uh, Steve Dahl, who we've had him on hold for most of the show. I had no idea that we were going to go this long with Jack, but uh, we will definitely have Steve back, um, to, you know, next week to uh, tell us about his uh, his podcast. And um, to all the Steve Dahl fans out there, I apologize. Uh, please go to kellytruthsquad.com to find out about, uh, to join us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, find out about our boat cruise that's coming up and um, and uh, how you can uh, be uh, a part of uh, all of these uh, not just talk events that, that we're going to be doing. And we will be back with more Kelly Truth Squad after this. Right on, America. More with the Kelly Truth Squad coming your way next. This is William J. Kelly. Now that the U.S. Supreme Court has overturned the Chicago handgun ban, it's time to get ready. Chicagoans are now finally able to keep and bear arms to protect themselves and their families, and it's about time. All you have to do is complete a Chicago certification course at Illinois Gunworks, and that is the only place you need to go. It's easy. I just did it myself. Illinois Gunworks offers the Chicago certification course and a bunch of other training courses with the best experts in town, state certified instructors, the kind of people you want training you. You could spend the whole day at Illinois Gunworks. They carry most brands and can special order any kind you'd like. Just call Illinois Gunworks at 773-889-1114 or visit IllinoisGunworks.com. Illinois Gunworks is located at 7229 West Grand Avenue in Elmwood Park. Make Illinois Gunworks your first stop today. The Truth in Broadcasting Radio Network. Now, back to the Kelly Truth Squad. Welcome back to the Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly. And um, I know one thing is for sure. That is when you, that America is, is the land of uh, freedom of speech, if nothing else. 
Uh, am I right, Maureen? Oh, it, you are indeed. And, and of course, uh, Warner Todd Houston, our social media director, um, who is obviously someone who has expressed uh, an, an opinion or two on Facebook. Or um, three or four or five. Yeah. <laughs> you, A day. You, yeah, you, uh, you definitely can appreciate the, the importance of freedom of speech, right? Well... I can appreciate it, but I don't want anyone else to have any. Ah. That's that's how uh, I mean. That's how I read from the left. Uh, uh, they like their freedom of speech, but they don't like anyone else's, right? Okay, so uh, so there you see. There he goes again. He's he's expressing one of the, uh, the, an opinion. It's a famous Warner Todd Houston. Declaration. Yeah. So uh, so Warner um, Warner seems to think that it's um, that what what you're saying is that liberals. Let me let me let me just translate this, okay. Uh, let me break this down. What you're saying is that liberals want to have the, everyone's uh, freedom of speech protected, except when they disagree with it, when they don't like what they're hearing. Well, exactly right. That's uh, they 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 think their freedom of speech is perfectly fine. Uh huh. But everyone else's should be limited. And um, and if you if you agree with them, then you're open-minded. If you disagree with them, then you're closed-minded. Is and that, evil. And evil. Evil. And 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 thus your freedom of speech should be limited, if not uh, prevented from uh, right, right, being expressed. Well, let's just use the current <clears throat> example. Uh, uh, conservatives like to uh, poo-poo movies, say, because mm. say Commie Jane Fonda's in the movie. Okay. They'll say, no, we're not going to see that movie. That movie's terrible, just because she's in it. Liberals, on the other hand, say, well, we should be open-minded. You shouldn't mix up the life of the star or right. the life of the movie person with their on-screen persona. That's just entertainment. Yet Mel Gibson is trying to make a movie about uh, uh, the uh, of Judah Maccabee, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And all the liberals are incensed that Mel Gibson is involved in this movie, and they want to boycott the movie that's not even made yet just because he's involved in it. I so see. So why exactly is it okay for them to be mad at Mel Gibson uh, for being involved in a Jewish movie, but mm -hmm. then condemn us for being mad at any movie that might have Jane Fonda in it. It's, right. it's their, it's their, you know, their hypocrisy. Now they can, right. they can complain that we will do that, but when they do it, it's okay. And and I don't think that anyone has ever really prevented Jane Fonda from being able to make any movie that she's ever wanted to make. So it's, it's not like she's ever been harmed. But the uh, Kelly Truth Squad uh, movie is still. Uh, uh, it hasn't quite. It's still. We're still. Uh, we're still trying to find a distributor for that. Yeah, it's quite difficult. But you know what? I I'm confident. I'm confident that in this United States of America, the Kelly Truth Squad movie will be released very very soon, and will be featured in all of the uh, film festivals. Probably right here in the at the in the Chicago Film Festival. It'll be uh, introduced a, by Mayor Emanuel. <laughs> Or maybe Roger Ebert. There you go. I love it. Maybe I could get uh, Rahm Emanuel's uh, brother Ari Emanuel uh, to uh, to represent to to you know help us uh, get this movie. And going. maybe Rahm can film. do maybe Rahm can do an interpretive dance just beforehand. You see, that might scare away the viewers. <laughs> that, that's how that. But you see now now you see we're putting together a deal. We're we're brainstorming. We're trying to make something good happen here. And uh, now there's um there's another example. Of, of exactly what we're just talking about. How ironic is this? Of a uh, of a United States Marine, somebody who fights for our freedom, and you would think that he would have his uh, he he would also have his freedom of speech respected and and uh, protected. Who is being disciplined uh, for I guess some comments that he made about uh, our president on Facebook? Uh, we have um, his attorney uh, Gary Creep. Gary, are you there? Yes, I am. Gary, okay, I'm sorry. We were st I was stalling for time there because I didn't know if you were on the line. 
Gary Creek. I've, I've, I've been on the line listening to you the whole time. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, I might need you to represent me. Okay, because uh, we're having a heck of a time getting Kelly Truth Squad, the movie, uh, a distributor and into the theaters. I th- it's an important message. It's a, it's a coming-of-age story is, is really what it is. But, but it's mostly a, uh, but it's a, you know, it's a good versus evil. It's kind of like The Count of Monte Cristo meets, um, I don't know. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Okay. I was going to say the Three Stooges, but okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so that's how we could. That's how we're going to. That's how we're trying to pitch this thing to Ari Emanuel, and we might need your help at some point here. I don't know what point, but um, but tell us about uh, Gary Stein, United States Marine. He's in hot water over some comments that he made about uh, Barack Obama on Facebook. Uh, what what is the? W- w- bring us uh, up to speed on this. Well, first, let me say that I doubt if Rahm Emanuel would be very open, because I sued uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton uh, uh, over uh, campaign finance fraud uh, for her uh, election to the U.S. Senate, and now I'm suing Barack Obama. So I kind of doubt that uh, Rahm Emanuel would be very forthcoming in offering assistance if I was involved in the project. But getting back to Gary Stein. Gary Stein is a nine-year veteran, almost nine-year veteran of the Marine Corps. He's a sergeant. He did a tour in Iraq. He had top secret clearance. Uh, he uh, didn't. He was a meteorologist, although he's been removed from that post. And uh, uh, he was doing his job. And then back in 2010, uh, he was asked. He was posting a, a negative comments about Mr. Obama on his private Facebook page concerning Obamacare. And uh, it got out. Uh, somebody made some uh, statements about it, and he was contacted. He was actually, somebody sent it out to a liberal blogger who attacked him, and the Chris Matthews of Hardball called him and asked him to come on. He agreed, got permission from his superior officer. He was partway there when uh, the, the national headquarters of the Marine Corps called him and said, get your butt back to Camp Cumberland. So he did. He met with uh, several superior officers, including a, a JAG officer. All of them told him that there was nothing wrong with what he was doing, but he needed to put up a, a disclaimer on his Facebook page saying that even though he is a Marine, he was not representing the Marine Corps, and he was not representing the United States government, the armed forces, and any of his comments were his private comments only, which he did. I see. Move forward to uh, uh, June of uh, 2012. Uh, during a very heated debate between a, uh, several Marines on a Facebook page over whether if uh, Mr. Obama invoked uh, the indefinite detention provisions of the NDAA, whether Marines should obey an order to disarm all American citizens and round them up and send them to these indefinite uh, detention uh, facilities, uh, if and when they're built. And he said, basically, you know what, no, uh, you know, uh, screw uh, Mr. Obama. Screw Barack Obama. I'm not going to. Uh, uh, I'm not going to obey such an order because it's contrary to the Constitution. Hmm. Well, you know, he may have used some intemperate words. He did not use obscene language, but he may have used some intemperate words. But uh, you know, it was a conversation, a heated conversation, and a couple of other Marines that were in part of the discussion joined in, and uh, one said even worse things about Barack Obama. I but see. anyway, the uh, the man who was hosting at that particular Facebook page said, uh, I'm not having this, so he immediately took it down. But before he took it down, uh, he sent a copy of it to a number of places, uh, including commanding officers, and said, you know, this guy's got to be taught a lesson or words to that effect. And so on the, now this all happened on March, for, uh, June 1st, excuse me. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, March 1st, excuse me, and, uh, 2012. And on uh, March 21st, he was given a notice being told that he was being kicked out of the Marine Corps. Wow. For these for these comments. 
Now, you have to understand a couple things. Number one, the uh, sections that he was charged under do not provide for discharge from the Marine Corps. They provide you know, demotion, reprimand, that sort of thing. They do not provide for being discharged from the Marine Corps. And uh, we uh, presented uh, several expert witnesses, and, and uh, or tried to, at the uh, hearing last Thursday, which went for 15 hours from 8 a.m. in the morning okay. until 11 p.m. at night at Camp Pendleton, the Marine Corps base in uh, San Diego County. Uh, we had a retired Brigadier General of the Marine Corps who was, for a number of years, the top uh, legal uh, guy in the Marine Corps. He was the legal advisor to the Commandant of the Marine Corps. And he came to testify on his own volition, he, con- he volunteered to do it, that the Marine Corps, under the charges that they had against Sergeant Stein, could not, as a matter of law, discharge him. They, there was just no provision for it. It was contrary to the, to the punishment regulations of the Marine Corps. We also had a retired... Um, uh, United States Marine Corps Major, who was also a JAG officer. Uh, he was also part of Special Forces. Okay. So the uh, grimy this guy, got got grimy this guy, and he showed up and stayed all day. And they wouldn't let him testify either. They said, well, you know, we're not going to allow them to testify because they might unduly influence the panel of Marines that were hearing this. Hmm. Okay, you tell them that they're doing something they can't do, and that's somehow a bad thing. All right. We also had a uh, professor of military law who teaches military law, he's an internationally known uh, expert on, on military law, who's going to say the same thing. Okay. They didn't want to hear it. Uh, I mean, the, the So it sounds like you were prevented from actually making, presenting uh, a defense of your client. Is, I'm sorry? It sounds like you were prevented from actually um, like pre- presenting a defense of your client. Yes. The only witnesses we were allowed to present were like his father who said what a good kid he was growing up, and, and uh, several previous commanders who said, yeah, he was a good Marine, uh, we support him, and we don't think this should be happening. Uh, but the, the, uh, in fact, the, Marine, the, uh, the prosecuting attorney actually admitted in argument that they could not discharge this Marine, Sergeant Stein, uh, under the provisions that they were charging with. They admitted it. But they said that, but if he was an officer and he said these things, he could be discharged. And they said, so we want you to basically take these rules that apply only to commissioned officers, specifically do not apply to commissioned officers, to non-commissioned officers like Sergeant Stein, and apply them to him and kick him out, even though legally he can't be kicked out. I mean, that was basically their argument. And so they did. I mean, we had a hand-picked group. Uh, it was not a court-martial. It was an, what they call an ADCEP hearing, an administrative separation hearing. And, uh, they, of course, the, the sheep, I mean the uh, members of the panel, Went along with it. The whole thing, I was there the whole 15 hours. It was a kangaroo court. There was so, they, uh, a major okay. didn't like the legal <clears throat> arguments of, of a colonel who was uh, the supervisors of our Southern of, of, of Legal Defense Team. So when the, the supervisor, who was a colonel, pointed out to the major that the major was violating, uh, under Marine Corps regulations, the rights of Sergeant Stein, the major told him to shut up or he'd have him physically removed from the hearing. So, I mean, Gary, that, let me ask you this. order and discipline? Yeah, I mean, the, this, uh, and this case hasn't really, I, I think this is the first time that this case has, re- have, has this case been received any, uh, um, any media scrutiny uh, outside of being on the Truth Squad here? Well, yes, we were on, uh, Sergeant Stein and I were on CNN okay. on, uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, they they did a live program. In fact, they extended it. There's not supposed to be five minutes. We did over nine minutes. But nice. if you go to the CNN website, all you see is a two minute clip of Soldat O'Brien criticizing 
uh, Sergeant Stein. But uh, you know, so we, here's we a question. So really, what they did, it sounds like, was a, a hatchet job. Why do you think uh, your client, uh, uh, Sergeant Stein, is being prosecuted? Because uh, Mr. Obama, uh, this is my opinion. I'm not saying it, not saying it for everything, Sergeant Stein. I'm saying it as someone who's been an attorney for over 36 years and who handles a lot of constitutional law cases, a lot of cases challenging government violations of people's rights. I believe that the gentleman occupying the White House and his minions have decided that they need to make an example of Sergeant Stein. That you can't say that you won't obey in lawful order. They want automatic obedience. They don't want any... See, you have to understand, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which, uh, you know, it applies to this situation, says that it is a crime for a member of the military to obey an unlawful act. And it goes back to the Nazis. Oh, we were only following orders, killing all the Jews and all the gypsies and all the, the, the Serbs and Slavs and all that. So that was embedded into our military code of justice. Okay. Okay. All, all he was saying was a Marine cannot obey an unlawful act, like disarming all American citizens and rounding them up and throwing them into the equivalent of the concentration camp. That's okay. what he was saying. And, he, and yes, the rhetoric got a little heated, not just his, but other people's. Now, but let's talk about reality. Two members of the Army went on Al Jazeera in full uniform, denounced the United States. They're not punished because that's their free speech rights. Uh, a Ron Paul supporter went to a Ron Paul rally in full uniform, endorsed Ron Paul. What happened to him? He got reprimanded. Okay. Sergeant Stein, on a private Facebook page, where the, that was admission only, there's a small group of people that have access to it, said something improper, inappropriate. Okay? Because, you know, you shouldn't use that sort of language regarding, you know, someone up the chain of command. Now, I think he has a right to do it, but you can make an argument that he should. I but see. it was on a private discussion on a private Facebook page, and the only reason he got media coverage was because one of the people on there sent it out because he wanted to, to punish Sergeant Stein. He sent it out, and it got to the media from him, not from Sergeant Stein. So, but they wanted so to make really, it was a, So really, it was a private, it would be like saying something to, essentially, to your friend and... Uh, uh, and then that person then going out and blabbing it to somebody. But, I mean, just the fact, the fact that you're in the military doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't be able to express your opinion in private, right? Well, actually, you, the Marine Corps, in its rules and regulations, encourages uh, members of the Marine Corps to express their, their views in public. Uh -huh. It says specifically in their regulations that they're encouraged to write letters to the editor, to participate in, in civil, civic issues, and to even uh, say good or bad things about candidates and letters to the editor. Really? But the, the prosecution, part of their claim why he should be kicked out of the Marine Corps, even though they admitted they don't really have the part to do it, is that he appeared at a Tea Party rally, and the prosecution claimed that the Tea Party is a formal political party. The Tea Party movement is a formal political party like the Republicans and Democrats. So therefore, they claim he engaged in partisan political activity, and that justifies kicking him out. Now, well, that's obviously ludicrous because the Tea Party is the anti-political party right. movement. It's not the pro-political party movement. I see. So, I mean, they're going after Republicans, Democrats, and everybody in between. Now you but bring up this. Was, uh, you now the, the the topic of this heated exchange was uh, actually sounds more disturbing than than the than the the heated exchange. The, this notion that the Marines would 
be ordered to disarm American citizens and bring them into concentration camps. I have to I have to be honest with you, um, Gary. I am not familiar with that uh, with that uh, with that story. Well, could you please uh, bring me up to bring me up to date on that? What is sure. The, there, there was a bill that, uh, in the in one of the provisions of the National Defense Authorization Act signed into law, I believe, in January by Mr. Obama, was a provision that allowed the president and and the federal government to detain uh, indefinitely, without access to an attorney, without a hearing, without even contact with the outside world, anyone that they uh, determined to be uh, a, a domestic terrorist. Now, let's go back to 2009, when the Obama administration's Department of Homeland Security issued a memorandum, uh, uh, usually referred to as the right-wing extremism report, in which they announced that all returning members of the military all uh, gun owners, all, all, all supporters of the Second Amendment, all pro-lifers, all opponents of illegal immigration, all U.N. opponents, all supporters of small government, according to this report that they issued, and you can obtain it online, all of those people were potential domestic terrorists. And I'm involved in a case in Connecticut, as, yes, my foundation, as a Justice Foundation, with a guy by the name of Walter Reddy, who was taken into custody, his home searched, he searched, his rights, his Second Amendment rights were removed by the state of Connecticut because he turned up on one of these potential domestic terrorist lists. Had no criminal record. Uh, his his crime, well, he'd been one of the organizers of Tea Party events in the in in the New England area, going back to 2007. So. That's why he lost his gun rights, and we're challenging that in court. Okay. Well, it, it seems to me like like being in the military is actually being used, whereas at one point you would be considered to be one of the most honored um, members of the community. Uh, from what you're telling me, it sounds like being in the military makes you one of the more suspicious members of the community in the eyes of the Obama administration. What is the next step for your client, for uh, for Sergeant Stein? Uh, wh how, and what's the likely outcome here, Gary? Well, well, he's appealing it through the military, but we've been essentially told that that dog don't hunt. Okay. He's gone, as far as Marines are concerned. We're also uh, moving it through the federal court system. We have a hearing tomorrow before a federal court judge in San Diego, California. And then if we are not successful there on Monday, we'll be filing uh, pleadings with the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal. So, you know, we're continuing to do this. We're providing all these legal services for free to Sergeant Stein. Sure. I mean, this is, he's, he's, got, he, he, he's an E5. He, he's got a, a pregnant wife who's due in about four months. He's got a child. Uh, his enlistment was up in three months. And by the way, uh, all of his office, all of his superior officers had unanimously recommended him for reenlistment. Uh, he wanted to be a careerist. Uh, many of the people that, that are now saying, oh, he's got to be kicked out, uh, did it before, you know, at the uh, end of February, were saying this guy's got to stay in because he's a great, a great asset to the Marine Corps. But now they want him out, and I believe it's because of political pressure from above. But uh, we've already incurred about $35,000 in legal expenses. Uh, because we had to hire, you know, outside legal experts because military law is not something that constitutional lawyers do on a regular basis. Sure. So we had to bring in some people who, you know, really knew their stuff. Well, I and have a feeling that you might uh, you might be handling more and more of these cases as time goes on, Gary. Um, so how can people find out more about the U.S. Justice Foundation and and contact you if uh, if they need your uh, need your 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 counsel or your you know need you to defend them in, in their cases in the future? Certainly. 
Uh, well, we have. A, uh, let me just say first, we have a website set up for Gary Stein. It's GarySteinUs. It's G-A-R-Y-S-T-E-I-N.us. People can find out about Gary Stein, see the CNN interview, variety of things, donate if they want to make a tax-deductible donation. If they want to contact me directly, it's uh, the website is usjf.net. This is an organization, the United States Justice Foundation, usjf.net. There's a phone number and an email address and all that. They go there and they can contact me directly. Well, Gary, I truly appreciate what you're doing. I, I'd love to have you back on the show. I didn't realize all the... Uh, all the good work that you're doing. I'd love to have you back on to talk about not only how uh, Gary uh, Sargentstein's uh, case is uh, resolved, but obviously uh, some of the other uh, matters that you uh, brought up in this interview. I'll be more than happy to. Just give me a call anytime. You got it, brother. Thank you, uh, Gary Krupp, Executive Director of the U.S. Uh, Justice Foundation. And uh, we will be back with more Kelly Truth Squad after this. Have no fear. The Kelly Truth Squad will be right back after this. This is President Barack Obama. You have reached the Truth in Broadcasting Radio Network. Now, please leave a message, and William J. Kelly will be happy to return your call tomorrow. The Kelly Truth Squad, only on the Truth in Broadcasting Radio Network. Welcome back to the Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly, and um, that Joel Brodsky, let me tell you something. Now, he is a guy who has been around the, this uh, criminal justice block more than a few times, Warner. Yeah, I mean, he, he had quite a lot uh, of great advice in that clip. Yes, That's indeed. Sure. And um, I, I'll tell you something. He, he kind of surprised me when he said that he would advise the um, you know his client, if, if Zimmerman were to be his client, to go on and do interviews. Yeah. But that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. I agree. I, I mean, I always thought that that would be the way to 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 go, you know, to to uh, to go about handling a situation like that. If you ever found yourself in that type of situation, um, he's sort of being tried in absentia right now by the right, media, right? And um, and the media is portraying him to be a very un unsympathetic character, right? Um, but if he can go on and he can, um, you know, tell his story, humanize himself, maybe talk about how he. Um, you know, loves people, and uh, then obviously there will be a uh, right because uh, what we got right now is nothing. I mean, the, right. the media is characterizing him, and his enemies in the uh, you know the, the sure. new Black Panther Party are characterizing him as the enemy. Right? Uh, heck, they're not even characterizing him as Hispanic. They're ta- <laughs> they're saying he's white, <laughs> right. you know, which is which is another thing that's not true. I mean, there's so much that that, that nobody really knows about this story that is being. Uh, that has been ignored and not not put out there. Sure, know? but they're passing judgment regardless. Right. Yes, indeed. And I, I know Chris Matthews had a lot uh, to Imagine say about the subject. Um, I, I'm really wondering how. You know, it really seems to me like the media is just going to go full bore on this one. And I think they're going to play the race card hardcore, even though it's kind of a uh, uh, a mixed race card. It doesn't quite. Uh, it doesn't quite work. The the way um, it, it's not a perfect it's not a perfect hand you know like the way uh, the way Jesse Jackson would want this thing to go down. Well, they've made it into one anyway. Yeah, that's true. That that's that's very very true. Um, 
But but yeah, Jesse Jackson, you you would think that he would want a super, super, you know, when he wakes up in the morning, you know, I, I guarantee you the first thing he thinks is, gosh, I, I just need a black victim. Just give me a black victim and a white cop. That that's like that is Jesse Jackson's number one wish, wouldn't you say? So so the fact that he's got a black victim and a mixed race um defendant. That's that. That can't. I mean, there, there's. There, he's obviously running with it, but it's just kind of weird because it's really not his, like his dream scenario. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not his. Uh, well, if you have the media helping you, you don't need a dream scenario. Right. Well. Okay. Well. What? What did? Speaking of that, what did Chris Matthews have to say about this? In order, Jonathan and then Michael, I want you to look at the fact that we've gone to a turning point tonight, a plot point, you might say, in the movie industry, where now the man has been prosecuted. He's being prosecuted. He has a defense attorney. It looks like it's going to be an interesting case. Uh, will the media be able to stand back and, and observe the presumption of innocence? We haven't had a national criminal case like this since the OJ case. But in this case, it's in the environment of this media jukebox of a pinball machine, rather, I should say, where the ball bounces around with opinion after opinion after opinion, some facts along the way. Can we cover this case fairly in the media? Um, I, I would hope so. And I think, you know, quite frankly, I think we've done a, a pretty good job of just presenting the questions that led to a lot of the protests. How is it possible that a man could shoot an unarmed teenager who just had iced tea and a bag of Skittles and not be in jail to at least be held accountable in a court of law. And I think you're right. Tonight is a pivot point because everything that um, Sabrina Fulton and Tracy Martin, Trayvon's parents, have been asking for has been an arrest. And now they've put their whole faith in the justice system, which is, I think, where it should be. And as long as we in the, in the media and particularly folks at home who are going to be watching this case religiously, keep in mind the facts of the case and how and how the law works i think everything will be okay but it's incumbent upon us in the media to not get uh whipped up and involved in sort of the theatrics and the hysterics going on outside the courtroom and just focus on the facts okay so the so just focus on the facts <laughs> and, and he didn't give us anything <laughs> he just gave us the media narrative yeah <laughs> he doesn't know the facts that's the whole problem right. with this story they don't know the facts Right. It, it's unbelievable. And, and, and I love the fact that they keep going back to the Skittles uh, uh, aspect. I think they have stock in Skittles. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder at what point is uh, like Skittles going to be made, uh, actually have to be forced to issue some kind of a statement on this. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. Yeah, you might be right. We have nothing to do with... Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, like I said, they just keep pushing their media narrative. They're not pushing any facts because they don't know the facts. Right. Nobody knows the facts. Well, That's the whole problem. And it's here. interesting that uh, that um, Chris Matthews, right out of the box, put that was was saying that this that this case was on the same par media in, in terms of media sensationalism as the OJ case. Why? 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 What would make him say that unless that's exactly what he wants? Well, of course. And notice that he uh, put it all in the, uh, the, you know, the rhetoric of a movie script. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, they don't see it as real life. They see it as their movie script. Sure. I guess. Well, I find it interesting that now he's all uh, of a sudden concerned about fairness. I think up until this point, the media hasn't been fair. So now all of a sudden now they have to portray themselves as fair. Right. I, I guess the the thing that really um, the, the the thing about this that yeah, I I keep wanting 
to say that I don't understand, but unfortunately, growing up on the south side of Chicago, I understand it all too well, is why this case? You know, uh, you have an unlimited number of heinous crimes taking place in the city of Chicago on a daily basis. You have, you know, children being shot in their own living rooms, you know, by gang, by stray, you know, bullets from from uh, from right. gang members. Plus, this thing had happened a month before the media even started kicking the story up into right. a national cure. And it, it was a month old case. Right. I mean, why? You know, if Jesse Jackson is really concerned about about gun violence, or or why isn't he out? On, on the south side of Chicago right now, uh, talking about, you know, the some two-year-old that was shot, you know, uh, while she was sleeping on her sofa last night. You know what I mean? Uh, from a stray, uh, uh, the stray bullet from a, from a gang member. It's, um, I, I think it's just a little bit too convenient that this case is in Florida, a state that Barack Obama needs to win the White House. Um, I, I would like to know, you know, what kind of voter registration is being conducted down in Florida right now in conjunction with these protests. Um, do you know, have you heard anything about that, Warner? No, I haven't. I okay. haven't heard that uh, this would, I mean, I know they're using the war, the so-called war on women as a way to sell, a, a, you know, Democrat sure. voter Democrats are. You know, I haven't there, heard about this. There's no doubt about it. Um, I have to look at that. You know, uh, the, you know, David Axelrod's of the world, the, the David Axel, the, the, there's one David Axelrod is enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, David Axelrod is very, very good at this. You know, it's called wedge politics. And uh, what David Axelrod has been able is, I believe, doing here with this with this case with this, you know, obvious, tr- obvious uh, tragedy in Florida is using this uh, this um, this uh, this this shooting, this, you know, Trayvon uh, Martin case to. Uh, as a voter registration and ultimately a get-out-the-vote um, yeah, uh, opportunity. I've seen reports that, that Jesse Jackson is using this, well, yeah. is, mm-hmm. is right. doing the voter we, registration we, right. in tandem right. with this issue. I so that is right. the ultimate in, you know, that is the the ultimate insidious uh, nature of, uh, you know, that that's the opposite of civil rights. It's the opposite of trying to find justice or, uh, or understanding uh, or bringing people together. It's the ultimate in divisive, insidious uh, politicking. Uh, and so, um, I, I have a feeling that that's kind of what this, this 2012, uh, Obama reelection campaign is going to be all about. And we will be back with more Kelly truth squad after this. Right on America. More with the Kelly truth squad coming your way next. If you need the latest news and opinion, look no further than veteran political blogger Warner Todd Houston. You know him from his work on Red State, Breitbart.com, his local political blogs at Chicago Now and Publius Forum, and as the co-host of the Kelly True Squad every week. Now Warner Todd Houston has a new political blog you need to know for local political news in Chicago and Illinois at PrairieStateReporter.com. When you need news you can rely on without the dirty political spin, visit PrairieStateReporter.com now. And now, an important message from the President of the United States. I'm President Barack Obama, and I'm here to tell you, whatever you do, do not, and let me be clear, do not listen to the Kelly Truth Squad. No, 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 no. Don't listen to that clown. If you want real Chicago attitude and real Chicago humor, listen to the Kelly Truth Squad. 
How do I know that's the truth? Because I'm William J. Kelly. The Kelly Truth Squad, TV and radio, coming soon. Join the Truth Squad revolution and see an exclusive preview at kellytruthsquad.com. Welcome back to the Kelly Truth Squad. I am William Kelly, and it is great to be back with the legendary Brian McCarthy. Brian uh, and I are reunited back on the air. And it feels so good. (laughs) There you go. In fact, some people were starting to wonder, A, if there really was a Brian McCarthy. They were starting to wonder if Brian McCarthy and I were actually the same person. And you know what that sets up is a whole set of uh, of uh, misunderstandings and circumstances that might actually lead to you one day needing a defense attorney. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> Especially if people think that you're me. Then, oh, that's uh, then, tr- that is true. Then you would definitely need a defense attorney, and you would probably need one of the best defense attorneys in town. Uh, luckily, we have him, and he's on the line. Joel Brodsky, how are you doing, brother? Good, good. I see the check cleared, so you're saying them the best there is. That's great. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, it's great to have you on the show. And, you know, here's uh, here's uh, something else uh, to look forward to. You are the very first guest on Kelly Truth Squad TV, KTS-TV, coming to a national uh, cable network uh, in May. Wow. How about that, that? In May. That's, Absolutely. That's right. Maureen will... Uh, Aluni, the legendary Maureen Aluni here uh, in the studio with us as well, and uh, and Joel, uh, I I got a chance to to see the uh, you know obviously the the episode what was originally considered a pilot or a demo as they say in the industry is that right Maureen absolutely um, and the the network loved it and uh, we will flipped be making actually they flipped over it we're going to be making that announcement um, you know in the in the next uh, week or so. Right. Uh, uh, where people are going to be able to see that. And uh, and the great thing about it is that uh, when, when we are finally inducted into the Museum of Broadcast Communications and they have that whole long, you know, explanation of, of you know, the Kelly Truth Squad, how it started out as a blog, how it uh, came to uh, communities at WashingtonTimes.com. Did I say that right, Maureen? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it became a radio show and then it became a TV show. Joel Brodsky will always be right there in the history of that uh, of that induction ceremony. I am honored, <clears throat> absolutely honored. It's great, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, here's the deal: you are no stranger to these high profile uh, cases. I guess uh, criminal defense uh, style cases. Um, and uh, when I say high profile, I mean we're talking Burnham and Bailey high profile. <laughs> am I right? Well, so one of yeah, certainly the Peterson cases did was a circus for a long time. That's for sure. That is for sure. I mean, you had a client in Drew uh, Peterson is uh, the the client yep. that we're talking about, yep. who um, he was he was literally not only was he in front of every camera in town, he was videotaping himself doing interviews with the press, if I recall. That that's true. Yes, it's true. Everybody wanted to look at uh, what it would look like from his perspective, uh-huh. and he wanted to show them, and uh, it was uh, it was an interesting, interesting uh, period. <laughs> I, I believe you, Andy Warhol. Literally, his head would have exploded if he had uh, somehow witnessed that media frenzy uh, surrounding your client, Drew Peterson. Um, and I have a feeling that we are on the threshold now of another such case that will. 
you know, be, I guess, considered probably, um, you know, I'll, let's just go ahead and write the, the, the headline now, you know, the, the trial of the century, the, uh, the Zimmer's, Zimmerman case. Certainly at least the trial of the year when it, when it eventually does come. Yes. Uh, there, there's no question about that. It's going to, and, and Florida seems to, uh, to to be a place for these. They had the uh, Casey Anthony case, and sure. now they got this one. It's, uh, you know, going to be, uh, I don't know what it is about Florida that attracts these cases, but they certainly got a bunch of them. You know, uh, that is, uh, I guess that is uh, another subject of speculation, what it is about Florida. Uh, that could possibly have uh, have somehow because there there's no there's no um, shortage of murder uh, or you know cases people have being being killed in a violent uh, manner in the city of Chicago. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about the uh, something going on in Florida with the press tends to get you know more interested. Obviously, there's plenty. If the press wants to spotlight a case, you know. Uh, there's more than enough cases going around. Yes. Uh, why are they focusing on cases in in in, um, in Florida? I don't know, uh, the, but maybe it's the weather. Who knows? But yeah. it's, uh, it's something, and um, it's it, you know maybe there is something there to look at. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean there are horrific, violent crimes that are conducted in the city of Chicago on a daily basis. Many of which result in in death. Um, why do you suppose, I mean, first of all, just do you have any real, you know, theory as to why this Zimmerman case has attracted national media and obviously these national, uh, political or, you know, some might say civil rights activists? Well, it's a good question. And, and I do have a, a theory on that. It has to do with the media. Uh, Florida is one of the first states that allowed, uh, cameras in the courtroom. Ah. Um, and the uh, media people know uh, that you know that it's all about the video. It's all about getting the picture. You know, sure. you got a great story, but you don't have video, you don't get on TV. Uh, I think that media tends to concentrate on criminal cases in states where they know that they're going to be able to broadcast the uh, the, the actual trial because you know, in, in doing, uh, they invest a lot of money in these stories. That the cost of bringing out a satellite truck is, is a lot, is tremendous, and just for one day. So if they're going to make that type of investment in a story, they want to make sure it's in a story that's going to have legs, so to speak. And it's going to, and I, that's where I think they concentrate in Florida, where there's a lot more open. Uh, the laws allow them access to almost every record involved. Where if they did in Illinois, uh, they cannot get the discovery. They cannot get uh, rarely, and now they now it's changed a little bit. They can get maybe a camera in the courtroom, maybe. Uh, but in Florida, they have absolute right to access, and uh, and I think that's really why it's because the press has access to all the colorful, you know, uh, documents and photographs. Okay, so we are truly going to see an over-the-top circus atmosphere uh, surrounding this oh, case, without question. I mean, I, and I'm really sorry to to hear that because this is a case, the Zimmerman case, is is a is a case of. Of simple of a, it's a tragedy. It's not really a criminal. It's not a criminal case as much as it's just a, tr a tragedy uh, for everybody that that was involved. For the Zimmerman, for the Martins, for everybody. Uh, you know, the it just um, and it really didn't have to get to this level, but because of the media, I think the media stirring it up, and for, because of the media uh, seeing that there was a great story here, it did tend to get. Uh, 
blown like into a circus. But you see, that's just it. I mean, let's let's drill down. Why is it a great story? In in Chicago, for example, we had. Uh, um, a teenage girl, Kelly O'Loughlin, she, she was stabbed to death in her in, in the living room of her home. Um, this was a one-day story. Kelly O'Loughlin, uh, dead, forgotten, no rallies, no protests, no, uh, uh, no national media. Um, you know, the, her killer, I, we don't even know where, uh, for all we know, he's back on the street. Uh, he was, uh, he was, he was, uh, he's been in and out of uh, jail or prison or whatever the case may be, and uh, for all we know, he's back out on the street now. Why? Why isn't there a? Uh, why aren't people trying to hunt him down, track him down, find out uh, what you know? What punishment? Uh, crying for justice for Kelly O'Loughlin. Why? Why don't Absolutely. we see that? Well, I mean, clearly the uh, you know there was there's there's always a twist. With the um, there's always something in there for in the Zimmer in Zimmerman and Martin. It's the, clearly the the racial aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know in. You know, using for example in the in uh, Peterson, it was the uh, fact that there was a you know older man with a younger wife. They're always looking for something you know that uh, that you know gets people emotional. Mm. Uh, you know that that's you know going to appeal to the to the baser instincts because that's what sells newspapers. That's what gets you to tune in. See, uh, and, and uh, it, it's and, and that's but it's also because of that. That's what that's what the most dangerous cases for the media to be involved in are one where emotions are high. Because okay. emotions, you know, the, the whole idea of having a court system where uninvolved and uninterested parties, you know, uh, rationally look at the facts and try to figure out what happened, is you try to remove emotion from the situation. And, and unfortunately, what the, what, what the, because emotion sells, yes. you know, uh, they tend to find the cases, they tend to focus on the cases and inject emotion where it really shouldn't be. And that, I think, is perfectly evident in what happened in, in the Zimmerman case. Yes. There was no way in the world, and, you know, and we who toil daily in the criminal justice system all know that uh, second-degree murder or um, non-capital murder, it's, it's basically, it's, um, it should not the charge that should have been brought. It, it's a manslaughter. It's a negligent homicide. Uh, if you were going to bring any charge against Zimmerman, it was a negligent homicide. You know that he, you know, um, he thought, think maybe he thought he had the right to self-defense, or that, but it clearly was an unreasonable thought. At least that would be the allegation, and um, and so it would have been a negligent homicide, not a murder case. Why do you think uh, they but because him? of the the media hype, uh, you know, he's facing, he's been overcharged, and an addition, you know, an injustice may very well be done. Okay, so so they brought this uh, second degree murder charge. Um, why, I, why why do you suppose they did? Well, you know, I was thinking about that. Uh, my, you know, this this prosecutor uh, who was uh, they appointed to do the the case, uh, Miss Corey. That uh, uh, was taught at least immediately. He said she had a reputation for being fair. I, I didn't know if that was true or not. Um, and then I did a little after the charges brought. I did a little more looking into her. She's a lady who was fired. Uh, from the state's attorney's office uh, because she had some problems. They uh, people were complaining about her being, you know, overbearing, boisterous, you know, so, go flying into rages and such. So she was terminated. I see. Uh, what she did in result of that was uh, run for state's attorney in that county and get elected as the state's attorney. Ah. Um, so this is a person. This, this person is uh, a political animal. Mm. Uh, you know, she. Uh, She's a political being, uh, and I think that 
unfortunately, uh, she injected politics into this decision. Okay. Uh, charging uh, Trayvon, I mean, charging Zimmerman uh, with murder is going to help win her a lot of votes. Uh, but it's it's not going to um, it's not it's not the right thing to do. Um, these are decisions that you know need to be made. You know, well that's why she didn't even want to take it to a grand jury. If you huh. know. She filed on, on an information, you know, which 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 avoids the grand jury process. And um, so you know, she that clearly with me was an indication that this was a political decision. Uh, by somebody who's worried about votes rather than uh, a criminal justice professional what do you uh, think trying would have, to make the right decision based on the law. What do you think would have happened had it gone to a grand jury? Would that stand-your-ground law been sufficient to just have them say, well, phew, tragedy uh, be as it, you know, you know, as it is, um, we cannot prosecute based on the law that is on the books? Yeah, I mean, well, the grand jury was probably would probably have uh, taken a great look at, at what happened, uh, you know, and maybe uh, grand jury would, would have returned an indictment of first degree. Uh-huh. I mean, of uh, of manslaughter. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, they could have done that uh, if they wanted, to, or they could have refused to return an indictment. But uh, you know, she couldn't do that. Now uh, they brought the information, the charge and information. Uh, without a grand jury, a judge is going to have to determine whether or not there's probable cause, but that's a very low standard. And what judge is going to want to throw out this charge? You know, not, a, okay. not a judge is going to want to be reelected, that's for sure. So, um, so you know, really, this could so, so amazingly enough, this is it. Really, sounds like this really comes down to politics on every score, whether you're talking prosecutor, judge. Um, you know the the headlines uh, in the newspapers in Chicago. Uh, literally, the, it was a one-word headline: murder. Yeah, murder. Well, absolutely. And <laughs> what we have here, look at the the founding fathers of the United States, a bunch of pretty sharp guys. I mm-hmm. think. You know, they put in the, the United States Constitution that a charge has to be brought by a jury. A, um, and they also. Um, Said, I mean, by grand jury, you can't. There is no such thing as an, you know, you have to go to the grand jury in the in the federal system. And second of all, um, uh, you know that uh, judges have a lifetime appointment. In other words, they're not susceptible to politics or political influence. Got it. So, you know, we unfortunately in the state level, we don't have those protections in a lot of states, especially it looks like Florida. Uh, and uh, and that's unfortunate. You know, the founding fathers. Thought we should, that citizens should have that protection. That citizens on a grand jury should be able to protect citizens who are accused from prosecutors who are, uh, you know, going beyond what they should be doing. That's the whole purpose of a grand jury. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, hopefully there's going to be a jury sooner or later that's going to look at this, and hopefully that jury will, uh, you know, do the right thing. What do you think is the strongest aspects uh, aspect of the prosecution's case? Well, there's a dead body, and he was unarmed. I mean, there you go. Uh, that's clearly a problem. You know, if there wasn't a gun involved, if, there was, if the gun wasn't brought to the, into this fight, uh, if uh, Zimmerman was unarmed, all you would have had is the police come upon two morons rolling in the grass. Right. And one with maybe a busted nose, the other one with a cut lip, and, you know, so so what, you know? Right. But uh, you know, the, you know, the bringing the gun into the fight was what really you know, uh, made turn this into a tragedy. Well, then, what's the weakest uh, part of the prosecution's case? Uh, Zimmerman is, uh, you know, first of all, what, what appears to be is that uh, you know, uh, clearly, uh, from what I've seen in the police reports, Martin, you know, took a swing at Zimmerman and was on top of him, 
and uh, you know, uh, nobody really has the right to put their hands on anybody else. Okay. So, I mean, that's the problem that the state's going to have to deal with. Plus, the fact in the murder charge, they're going to have to show that you know Zimmerman had a complete disregard for human life. Uh, you know, and let me and he, apparently he's got. They've been on TV a bunch of character witnesses who say that this is not this is not a bad guy. This is. You know, this is somebody who's a you know a loving, caring human being who you know made a mistake. Right. Uh, you don't put people in jail for 25 years for a mistake. I mean, maybe if that mistake causes a death, they do a few years in jail. Couple, two, three. There's a dead person. I mean, obviously. Sure. You know. That, but that's, yeah. You know, not uh, not no, not for 20, 30 years. No, not right. for life. Yeah, the fact that he was a neighborhood watch volunteer, I guess that kind of cuts both ways in the eyes of. You know, depending on who's, you know, who you ask. On the one hand, that would mean that he is a very committed uh, person who wants to keep the neighborhood safe. Uh, you know, on the other, maybe someone else might look at that and say, "Here's a person who clearly has an agenda and, a, and some type of chip on his shoulder, and, w- and is looking for trouble." Right, but even that is not, that's not the depraved mind. That's just you know negligence. Right, and, and you know that's 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 what manslaughter is. You know, and, and then we all obviously we have a jury. Uh, issue here. I mean, it, you know, everybody's going to be thinking about Rodney King. You know, right. and the jury saying, if we don't convict him, you know, it, it's unfortunate that all this gets kind of um, injected into a case that doesn't deserve this type of attention. Sure. You know, I always find it very interesting when you have people who say that if there isn't justice for their you know, if they don't get their definition of justice, then they're going to go out and commit violence. That's, yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of a strange, uh, uh, I guess some people would say, hypocrisy involved in that uh, that logic, that thinking. That's true, but there's you know, no shortage of morons in the world. So, <laughs> Well, then what would, now what, now what do you think? If this uh, goes to trial, what, would you want to make a prediction right now, a conviction? Uh, I'd have to see more of the evidence, really. I sure. Mean, there's a lot of forensics in a case like this. You know, for example, uh, you know, um, where were the, you know, what was the crime scene? What, if, 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 Martin, if Trayvon Martin was, um, you know, had tea and Skittles, a, bo- a glass of uh, tea and or a bottle of tea and a bag of Skittles in his hand, where were those dropped in relation to, um, you know, in relation to where they found his body? You know, because that, did he, that will show if he dropped it and attacked. Zimmerman, or if they were, you know, if they didn't come out of his hands uh, until he was, uh, you know, involved in an altercation. Sure. You know, there's a lot of things to look at and look and analyze before I could, you know, I mean, if I can take a one from the hip, yes. one from the hip would say that uh, manslaughter is a lesser included defense uh, of uh, murder. So, you know, that the jury could always, you know, he could be tried for murder but found guilty of manslaughter hmm. and if i was going to come up with a with a uh, with a prediction i would say that would be it at this point knowing very little or very not very little but at least little about the actual facts as someone who has absolute experience in this very you know one of the handful of people who has great experience in with this type of a case what would you advise george zimmerman now uh, what would you say to him if you uh, if uh, if he asked for your uh, your counsel on this? My humble advice. Uh, I would tell him that you know the tradition in, in a high profile case like this, the traditional uh, don't you know just stay silent and don't talk to anybody. Uh, it won't work. Uh, he needs to get out there 
Uh, wow. I mean, obviously, don't talk about the details of the charges or what happened on the night that, uh, that Mr. Martin Interesting. was killed. But other than that, you know, get out and show people, you know, what he's about and who he is. Let them, you know, personalize yourself with these, with the potential, with with the people, you know, so that. The jurors won't go into the jury room thinking that you're a monster. Very you're interesting. Having only heard one side of the story, and uh, and that's what he needs to do. He needs some, you know, to kind of get out there. I don't want to call it manage the media, but he sure. needs to get out there and let people, you know, get get out, get people see who he actually really is. You know? Very interesting. Uh, and then, and then, you know, he's going to have to listen to his lawyer and pay, hire a good lawyer, and that's it. Joel Brodsky, uh, uh, I, yeah. Uh, I'm. Sorry. I just got an email. Uh, so I, uh, I have to run, but, um, uh, don't tell me, is it from, is it from, uh, uh, George Zimmerman? No, 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 oh. no, no, uh, it's not. I think, uh, there may have been a decision in Peterson and I need to really? look at it. So. Well, yep. we will definitely, would you so like to, there read? is, give me a call tomorrow. We'll discuss it. Would you like to read me that email now? Yeah, it says, it, it says there's a decision. Oh, my gosh. We will definitely have you back to discuss that and many other stories. Uh, Joel Brodsky, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us on the Truth Squad tonight. It's my great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. And um, please join us next week for more Kelly Truth Squad, because it's never too early to start tainting the jury pool. <laughs>